love a series on family. I love the fact that God's allowed us to talk about family. I don't know, many of you know, uh, we, we have right here, maybe you can see this, maybe you can't. If you can't see this little wedding cake topper, um, it's this handsome groom and beautiful bride. In fact, if you can't see this wedding cake topper, let, let me help you with this. I'll give you a, a better visual aid. Matt and Sarah, can you stand up? Just go ahead and stand up. And just turn and face each other and hold hands. There's the other wedding cake topper right there. <laughs> I actually performed their wedding. It was awesome. You should have seen their wedding. I have never been around such handsome, beautiful human beings. Right In their wedding picture, I'm in the middle. <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm like, you got Shrek in your wedding picture. <laughs> it's funny. Sorry. I had a little too much coffee. It was awesome. But this wedding cake is amazing, right? Because about this wedding cake that we see is that we just see like promise. You know, we just see this beautiful couple, handsome. They're, they're like, the, the, all, everything's perfect like it's supposed to be, right? It's just like life, perfect. Everything's great. You know, there's never a blemish. It's always perfectly frosted and, and all the things that go on, right? There's so much of our lives as, as human beings is like this wedding cake. It's just kind of, well, you know, it looks perfect. See, in family, we spend so much time trying to make that become this. We spend so much time trying to make sure that the frosting stays perfect, that the, the, the topper on top is absolutely unblemished and free of dust and grime. We spend all of our efforts and time to try to make this thing and then call it family. The problem is, is you don't know what's under the surface of that pretty frosting. You don't even know if that's really frosting. You, you don't even know from where you're sitting if underneath the, the, the frosting is just cardboard. You don't know if I didn't hire someone just to, to make a cardboard. You don't even know if it's like, maybe it's just plastic underneath the frosting. It would last longer that way. It would make more sense. See, you don't know, right? And that's the kind of way we like to keep it in family. We like it to, to look right. We like it to feel right. We want it to make sure our image stays right. But we don't ever want to let people know what's underneath the surface. Because underneath the surface of so many of our lives, in fact, most of our lives, lies life. You know what I mean by life, right? The joys, the sorrows, the successes, the failures, the, 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 the moments of incredible highs. And, and, and if I could be so bold as to tell you, the deepest, darkest lows. All happen in the context of this thing called family. But we do everything we can to make sure the frosting stays smooth and make sure the topper looks just right. Because that's how we live family here in America. We're in week four of our series entitled inside the wire. And if you spent any time in the military, out deployed somewhere, you know that the wire is the place that kind of typifies home base. It's the place where soldiers come back to in the heat of battle. It's the place that they, that they come back to get refueled, to uh, get retooled, somehow to get a new mission and maybe get some rest. It's the, it's the place that they call home base. And, and, and inside the wire is supposed to be safe. The enemy is supposed to be outside the wire. But you know that if you've been in any sort of a, a, a battle situation, that the enemy doesn't always remain outside. You see, the family a lot is like inside the wire. 
Inside the wire is supposed to be a place where you'd find rest and relaxation, to be refueled and maybe even reloaded with your, with your plan for this, whatever it's supposed to happen. And then all too often, we bump into an enemy that's supposed to be outside the wire and makes his way inside the wire. I want to talk to you this morning about family. But I want to talk to you f- uh, about family from a little bit of a different perspective. Most often when we talk about family in church, we talk about the, the, the biological home where there's a, a one mom and a one dad and the way that it's supposed to be and a storybook moment and encouraging words from the Lord and we move on and we high-five each other and, and what's left to, 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 to filter, what's left to try to understand is the message of a blended family. Trying their hardest to, to live blended family. This morning I want to talk to you about living life with hope in a blended home. Uh, maybe, maybe this is only the only time you're going to hear this in church uh, this year. Maybe, maybe you've never been to a church that talked about blended families. Well, you found one. And I want to be a part of a church that talks about blended families. You say, Lance, how do you know about blended families? You and your wife have been married for 27 years. You have three kids. You've done whatever. And here's how I know. It's because I was, I was a stepkid. I was, a, I was part of a blended family. In fact, my mom and dad were married Polly's mom and dad were married several times. I mean, like a lot of times. And there's a lot of stepkids and step-siblings, and some of whom I level with you, I don't even know. There was just a lot going on in our family's history. And as a result of it, Polly and I came together, and we were two broken people from two broken homes trying to make one home. Welcome to America. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I don't understand this, Lance, because I spend so much time trying to filter when you say something, how does it fit my blended family? Because in my blended family, I'm dealing with ex-spouses, I'm dealing with split money, and I'm fe- and dealing with trying to discipline children that aren't my own, and I can't do this thing, and it's so difficult, and it's hard. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're a blended home, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome home. If you're part of church, you're part of blended family, because we are they. So, if you're ready, let's talk about that today a little bit. Can we pray? Jesus, thanks for an opportunity to just read your word and find out what you have to say about us. We need you a bunch, God. Help us to get beneath the veneer, Lord, to to, to get beneath the frosting and maybe find some healing and hope for our blended homes. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you're here this morning, and maybe you were waiting. I, I have a guest speaker who's going to be joining us um, named Colonel Wexler. Uh, Colonel Wexler was actually supposed to be here speaking today. Um, maybe you're waiting for him, and you're realizing that I'm not him. So, but let me, let me also help you this. If you ever get a phone call from a colonel, here's the answer. Yes. When a colonel calls you and says, can I move a date? You just say yes. You don't ans- ask why. You don't ask how come. You just say yes. Someone say amen. amen. So I did. So he'll be here next week, and uh, he's going to come and share, and I can't wait for you to meet him. He is an amazing man. He saved my marriage. He saved my life. There's so much. I trust him as a counselor. I trust him as a pastor. Dr. Wexler, Colonel Wexler, the, the, the brother is amazing. And I, I'm, I'm honored to call him my friend. And you'll get to meet him this next week. So be ready for that. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about living well in blended families. And maybe this applies to you. Maybe it doesn't. Let me tell you this. Listen to this. Did you know that 42% of adults polled today say that they have at least one step relative? Listen to this. Current estimates tell us that 40% of married couples today with children, listen to that, 40% of married couples today with children are blended families. 40%. 
Of all weddings performed in America today, 46% will be remarriages. Of the million children experiencing divorce from their parent, of their parents this year, 65% will end up in a blended family. Let me tell you this. There are two words that describe a blended family home. Two words. It's hard. If you're from a blended home or you're, you're part of this journey, I'll tell you this. It is just super hard. There's no easy way to make it easy. There's no easy way to kind of make it right. And the problem is, is so many of us, we, 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 we run into this thing called life and we, we end up getting broken and you, you end up in a, a broken situation and you get remarried. And the problem is, is most of us just know how to live in the lane that we were living in before. And what happens with blended families is we have somebody who was a, a dad and someone who was a mom, and they, they, they try to function the way that they've always functioned. Then we put them into a room. We say, now you're married. You may kiss the bride. And then we send them home and tell everyone, just be normal. Let me tell you this. Blended family is not normal. It's just hard work. It's difficult. Not impossible. It's difficult. And by the way, but what on earth that's worth anything is ever easy? It's difficult for sure, but it's not impossible. I want you to know that this whole idea of blending a home, and maybe you're not part of blended family, but you'll know someone who will. I hope this message today encourages you, and you can learn to journey this course and help someone else out. And if you've been part of blended family, today you don't have to filter. They do. They have to figure out what I'm trying to say and make it fit their home. Because I want to help you understand that you are safe here, and we can walk this journey out together. And you became a blended family, not because you signed up for it. It wasn't the thing you started out saying, I look forward to that moment when I can have a family that's all disjointed and come together and pretend like it's all right. You got here because a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, maybe a few mistakes, but you're here today. Or you're listening to us online. Can I just tell you, I'm so thankful you're here. And as long as I pastor this church and I don't plan on leaving, you're safe here in this place. And I want to help you figure out a journey to walk called walking with Jesus. Amen. Amen. 60 to 70% of all remarriages, statistics tell us, will fail. I even read a statistic this last week that said up to 90% of remarriages will fail. I just tell you, it's just because it's super hard. It's not impossible, man, but it's super hard. It's just this idea of now having to take two families and ram them together and say, now, uh, don't forget about grandma and grandma, grandma, and super special uncle and this uncle aunt and, and put them all together. And then you try to do Christmas nine times. And you try to make kids pretend like you're happy here with your new grandparents that don't necessarily know you but snuggle up on their lap. It's just hard. And can I just say this just as a, by the way, as a kid, uh, uh, me as a grown man, but as a kid, can I tell you this? When I was a stepkid, as a st- can I just tell you this? On behalf of all stepchildren, we're sorry. We're sorry. We don't know how to do it either. As stepkids, we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to be a kid and then call an adult by their first name when we were supposed to call them dad. But now we don't call them dad, but they act like a dad, but they're not really dad. But sometimes they say things that hurt us because other people, but then that's not my dad, but you're, you're, you're Jim. You're not dad, you're Tom, you're whatever. And it's just, can I just tell you this on behalf of stepkids? Sorry. Because they're just confused and having a hard time and they act out. We acted out. Because we just didn't know how to do it. And all we knew how to do was to just do something to make it feel better. So sorry. 
Maybe that's what you're dealing with today. You're dealing with a broken, blended home and trying to make it look like a wedding cake and trying to make it look like everything's right and perfect. And it's not easy. What are some of the leading stressors in a blended home? First of all, it's your ex-spouse. The relationship with the ex-spouse and continued dealings with them over financing, finances and parenting, incredibly high. In fact, statistics tell us that the, the, the stress in marriage is difficult, but the stress added to a blended family, twice or three times more. Secondly, not only your ex-spouse, but false expectations. Many couples get remarried and then just tell, them, tell each other all, everyone stay in the lane that you came from. You're a dad, act like daddishness. You're a mom, act like mama's stuff. If you're a kid, act like you get thing. Everyone stay in your lane. And everyone act like everyone's having fun. And it's just hard. It doesn't feel normal. It's not normal. It's difficult at every level. Hmm. Third, another one of the leading stressors is not only your, your former spouse or your, your spouse's other spouse, False expectations, but third, your spouse's children. The reality that the step-parent, let me, let me just tell you this, let me tell you this. And again, I say this as one who's a step-kid. Um, it, it's, it's, it's nearly impossible, nearly impossible for a step-parent to come in and just take over the roles and become the, perf- the perfect dad or the perfect mom. It's nearly impossible. And I just tell you, I want to let you off the hook and tell you this. Everyone's just got to figure out how to do it. It's just hard. There's not a super easy plan. You're not less spiritual or more spiritual if you figure it out. It, but I'm just telling you, it's just hard. And, and by the way, it takes a long time. It takes a long time. Because you can't take humans and say, hey, everyone pretend that she's the mom. Everyone pretend that she's the mom. She's not the mom. She's just Susie. She's Tammy. She's somebody different. And it's just difficult for stepkids to come on in and pretend that everything's all right. I, I just I hope you're all right with me just kind of tearing the Band-Aid off and saying, look, it's just hard. And I just want you to know, if you're part of church, well, if you're part of a 40% of humanity in this country we live in, then you're here. I want you to know you're safe. And I see you. And it's just super hard. I hope today you walk away with a little bit of hope. Finances are a big deal. Trying to share money in two households or three households or four households and trying to come up with that whole situation, it's just ridiculous. Making things even worse is the expectation from church. Because church people, we don't know how to do it well. Church people are weird because we come up and say things, you sinned, you this, you that, you this, you that. And, and then we're trying to tell you now, hey, would you be happily serving in children's ministry? Would you happily just serve up on the worship team? Would you happily just do something and sweep floors? Whatever you got to do in your church to serve. And, and then we're like, oh, you're from a blended home? And you have nine birthdays to deal with today because they weren't there before, but now they are. And, and you realize, like, my finances are too thin. I don't know what to do. I think we're buying diapers, but then we're also buying graduation announcements. Oh, my gosh. Have I missed anyone yet? You realize it's just hard. It's hard walking this thing called blended family out. It's not impossible, but it's just hard. Hmm. It's amazing. The Bible's loaded with blended families. I don't know if you knew that. The Bible's just full of it, full of blended families. And get this. You know, the problem with the Bible is in the Old Testament, divorce was a big deal. Divorce was like something you don't normally just lob out there because divorce was really bad in the eyes of people in the Bible. So instead of getting divorced, oftentimes they would just add another family. In other words, they would keep the current family and add another one. In other words, they'd have one wife, two wife, three wife, 26 wives, I don't know, but like they'd all stay there. You know, (laughs) 
Some of you are like, woo, glad I'm not them, right? I mean, it'd be difficult, right? And then they would live mad at each other most of the time. It wasn't like the thing you see on TV with some of that weird stuff with different wives. I mean, it's, it's just it was hard, difficult then too. But, but I mean, imagine this, right? So we have Abraham who, who tried to blend Sarah and her son Isaac with Hagar and Ishmael. That didn't go well. We have Jacob with his two families married to Leah, then eventually to Rachel, and them trying to figure that whole thing out. We have King David who was married first to his, his, his wife, the daughter of King Saul, Michael, married her. And, and, and if that wasn't bad enough, he had 28 more wives after that, right? Imagine that. Then after his, his, his last wife went down there, her name was Bathsheba, right? So he ends up marrying Bathsheba, which gives birth to King Solomon. King Solomon, right, at the end of his life, writes this little funny thing in Proverbs chapter 5. Rejoice, Solomon says. Rejoice with the wife of your youth, right? You have to know King Solomon well enough to know that he wrote this towards the end of his life because he realized <laughs> he should have stayed with one. Instead, let me help you see what King Solomon ended up with, right? 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11 says this. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry any of them because they will turn your hearts toward their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, whatever those are. In fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Over and over again, we see in the Bible that blended family didn't work then either. There is one story of a blended family that did okay. You may be familiar with them. You might even know their names. In the Bible, the New Testament, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. You know, that was a blended family, didn't you? Joseph was Jesus' stepdad. Jesus had stepbrothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters. They had to figure out how to navigate these journeys. And in that culture, for Joseph to marry already pregnant Mary, that was a big deal. In fact, they were ostracized by their entire community. How do I know that? Well, in Bethlehem, there wasn't no room for them in the inn. They were there all by themselves. What were they doing in Bethlehem? They went to Bethlehem to a census that was going to be taken, a.k.a. family reunion. At the big family reunion, the Mary and Joseph, King David family reunion, where they would have run into relative after relative after relative, there was no room for them. They were completely ostracized in the middle of this moment, and yet still, Mary and Joseph, they hung in there. They walked it out. They realized in the face of a culture that said it's weird, they decided to stick the course and to, and to journey what was difficult as a stepfather loving a stepson and stepbrothers and sisters, navigating that journey. Somehow they figured it out. I'm forever grateful that they show up in the Bible, that they show up as an example that it's possible. Because I think far too many, far too many blended families in church get this push away that you are all just a, a second class deal. Let me tell you this. I've told you this before and I'll say it a hundred more times. God's not interested in giving you a plan B life. He's interested in giving you a restored plan A life. He wants to bring restoration and healing to your life. Not throw it away and say, let's just start over. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of John, chapter 21. John, chapter 21. The book of John, I love it, because John, is the, John 21 is the last chapter in the book of John. It takes place, uh, time-wise, 
after Jesus had already been crucified, he had risen from the dead, the Bible says that Jesus had actually appeared to his disciples in Galilee. I'm sorry, he appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem. He had already shown up there. They had already had supper. They had already spent some time together post-raising from the dead. So in other words, Easter already happens, and they're hanging out in Jerusalem. Jesus then tells the disciples, hey, go down to, or go up to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. So he tells the disciples to go up towards Galilee, and Jesus was going to show up. So now we have the disciples in Galilee waiting on Jesus to appear, right? They don't know where he's going to show up. They don't know when he's going to show up. All they know is Jesus told them to go. And here's where we start our passage in chapter 21, verse 1. It says this, Jesus, Then later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, named the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out into a boat. They caught nothing all night long. You know, commentators don't really tell us why Jesus, or why Peter went fishing. We don't really know why Peter went fishing. We just know that he did. We don't know why Peter just decided, hey, I'm sitting here in Galilee. I don't know what to do, waiting on Jesus. Eh, I think I'll go fishing. We do know this. We do know that Peter was a career fisherman before he bumped into Jesus. We know that Peter's dad's dad was probably a fisherman. Peter's, Peter's dad was a fisherman. Peter's great-grandfather was probably a fisherman. They came from a long line of fishermen because if you lived in Galilee, you had something to do with fishing because that was what the Sea of Galilee was for. It was just all no, notoriously about that. So they're in Galilee. You know what Peter did? Peter went to Galilee waiting on Jesus. This is the first time the disciples are actually away from Jesus for the first time, like on their own, kind of navigating life in some normal capacity. And so what did Peter do? Well, Peter did what Peter did. Peter just fished, because that's all Peter knew how to do. Peter didn't know how to do it any differently. Peter just knew that, well, I'm here. I have nothing to do. I needed some income. I need to do something to provide for my family or whatever. I'm going fishing. The rest of the disciples, six of them at least, join them. So, you know, some of us do that with our, our, our families. Some of us find ourselves in a blended family situation. And what we do is what Peter did. We just do what we know how to do. We just, well, I was a dad, and I did this, and so therefore, when I get into my new family, I'm going to do the same thing I did before, because it's just autopilot. I'm just going to do what I did, because that's what I do. I do dad things this way. I discipline this way. I talk this way. I care this way. I love this way. That's what I'm going to do. And we anticipate everyone else is jumping on our ship and hoping to figure out how we did it right or wrong. But because it's us, it's right. Peter did exactly what we do in blended family. We just kind of try to, to, to dial our lane in and just stay in our lane and keep doing it our way because that's all we know. That's all we know, and we do what we do because that's what we do, and we've always done it that way. Perhaps there's a different way. Perhaps there's something here in this message that will help us navigate the blended family or the single-parent home or whatever it is that you find yourself in to help us begin to journey this course a little better, maybe with some more success. And, and, and bump hard and strong against those statistics of re-re-re-marriage. And help us come on to saving the current marriage that we're in right now. Far too many blended families fail because they continue to try to live like they lived in their first marriage. By the way, the rules are not the same. Listen to this. Jesus is not interested in making you look like you used to. Jesus is interested in making you look like you're supposed to. Let me say that again. Jesus is not interested in making you look like you used to. He is deeply interested in making you look like you're supposed to. In other words, he wants to help you be the you that he intended you to be. Look at verse 4. 
At dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who he was. He called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll catch plenty of fish. So they did it, and they couldn't draw on the net because it was so full of fish. Let me bring to your attention to three things that I believe will give some hope to the blended family today. Number one, to find hope in your blended family, first and foremost, you got to really listen to the voices at night. Listen to the voices that talk to you at night. The disciples were out on the water. They didn't know who this voice was from the shore. They could maybe see a silhouette. Maybe they saw an outline of a human. Uh, you know, the sound in, when you're out on a lake, if it's ever dark or if it's quiet, you can hear a sound from a long ways away. You can hear a voice from a long ways away. Same thing with the disciples. They were out on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of it or wherever they were. It wasn't a real big lake. And they hear Jesus calling, hey, did you catch any fish? They didn't know who it was. All it was was a voice calling out to them at night. Let me tell you this. If you're a blended family, you're from that moment, you hear voices at night. And you know the voices I'm talking about. Those voices that tell you you should have never married him. Those voices that tell you, what are you doing with your money? You're hurting your, your biological children. What are you doing with your, you're, you're now engaged in a relationship with someone who has ex-family that doesn't like you. What were you thinking? You're crazy. How are you going to navigate this? You should just quit. You should just leave. You should just stop. Over and over again, you hear voices at night that tell you everything but the truth. There's only one way to defeat the voices that lie to you at night. By telling them about the voice of truth you heard during the day. You need to spend time in your Bible during the day trying to come up with answers to the voices at night because the voices at night always lie. The voices at night will always tell you what you're never going to be enough of. The voices at night will always try to tell you how little you are at finding the right path. The voices at night will always tell you you'll never measure up. You'll always be a mistake. You should have never, if you loved God, you would really... See, it's the voices at night that mess so many of us up. And the only way to defeat the voices at night is to begin to tell the voices at night the truth that you learn during the day. Hmm. Number two, how to bring hope to a blended family. Not only watch the voices that are speaking to you at night, but number two, always remember what comes before a miracle. Always remember what comes before a miracle. Always remember what comes before a miracle. Did you know every time in the Bible there was a miracle, there was always something crazy that took place? Over and over again in the Bible, we see Jesus doing these miracles, but before the miraculous thing happened, I've said this before and I'm certain to say it again, what always precedes the miraculous? The ridiculous. The ridiculous always precedes the miraculous. Ridiculous. You know, Jesus bumps into a blind guy. He can't see. He spits on the ground. The Bible says he takes the mud from the ground that he just made out of his spit, wipes it on the blind guy's eyes, he's healed. That's ridiculous. Another time in the Old Testament, God tells this guy to go into this, the Jordan River and wash himself off seven times, and something happens. He comes up no longer dealing with this disease that he had had. Over and over in the Bible, we see these moments of ridiculous steps of faith that these guys had to take, uh, feeding people five loaves and two fish. Tell me that's not ridiculous. Jesus says to the disciples, how are you going to feed these guys? What do you got in your hand? I don't know. We got a lunch. He tells Moses, God tells Moses, what do you got in your hand? I got a staff. Throw it down and it turns into a snake. I mean, over and over again, the ridiculous always precedes the miraculous. It's no different today. 
It's no different today if you are in a scenario that requires a miracle. And by the way, you can't have a miracle in your life until you're into a position that requires one. So many of you are like, I love a miracle. My, my, my comment to you is, is really? So if you want one, you need to be put in a position that requires one. So you might want to take that back. But if you're in a scenario that you need a miracle, let me tell you this, it may require a ridiculous step. What kind of ridiculous step? Here's what kind. Uh, did you catch any fish out there? No. Throw your net on the other side of the boat, the, the boat that's only six feet wide. Wait, six to ten feet wide. So there's no fishy here, but there is fishy here. Let me tell you, as a fisherman, there could be nothing more condescending than that. We're trying to catch fish over here. Hey, I got an idea. Throw the net on the other side. There's probably fish over there. Ha! There ain't no way that those guys were like just, yeah, man, that's awesome. Little did they, maybe we know, that this actually, the same transaction happened early on in their ministry. And Jesus told the disciples that same thing. And I bet you that they were like, ah, that's Jesus, because he would say something like that. So what do they do? They throw the net over there and they catch a bunch of fish that they can't drag ashore. What kind of ridiculous things would God ask you to do in a blended family? Well, maybe he might ask you something like this. Will you surrender your methods of parenting your stepchildren the way that you think they're supposed to be parented? But that's not how I do it, Lance. You don't understand because this is the way that it's going to be due. This is how I do it. This is how I get respected. This is what I'm going to do. Why well, I tell you today that it might take a ridiculous step of yielding your pride to let that person figure out how to navigate that journey of being a stepchild child. Maybe there's a ridiculous step that he would have you to give up some control of your finances. You're saying, Lance, it doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. And you hear Kari come up here a minute ago and say, hey, let's trust God with our finances. And you're going, are you kidding me? I'm trying to pay for two households. There's no way that's going to happen. And you want me to step out and trust God with my finances by tithing? Are you nuts? No, not nuts. I'm just here to tell you that God is amazing. And you watch him when you step out into ridiculous faith. Watch God show up in ridiculous, miraculous moves. So you're saying to trust God with your finances? Yes. Miracles are no respecter of person, trust me. God will do something amazing. You just watch him, he'll never change. Trusting him is trusting him is trusting him is trusting him. Is trusting him. What about something ridiculous like this? You've been living a life disrespected by your children, your stepchildren. You're tired of being called by your first name. It's just ridiculous. Enough is enough. Here's my question for you. Is are you able to move past that ridiculous expectation you have and just say, you know, enough. It doesn't matter to me. Call me by my first name. And let's just journey this course and I'll help you figure it out. Because one day that 13-year-old is going to be 32 years old. And he's going to come to you and say, thank you for not, thank you for not just getting weird about that one. And just watch it out. It's going to cause you to do something ridiculous for God to show up in the miraculous. Finally, number three. Don't pretend that everything's okay. Don't pretend that everything's okay. It says in verse seven, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord and get this, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and swam ashore. Let me read that slower so we can see what really happened. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, then jumped into the water. 
He put on his tunic and jumped into the water. I don't know a fisherman alive who would put clothes on to jump into the water. There's, it doesn't make any sense. That's absolutely silly. Why would you do something like that? Why would you put something on to hop into water? You know that it would weigh him down. You know that it would, you, whatever you do, you strip off stuff so that you can hop in and make it more, more easy to swim. Peter covered himself up. Why did Peter do that? I think Peter did that because maybe he was still dealing with the guilt and the shame from denying Jesus three times. And he shows up on the shore and Jesus rekindles their relationship by saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times. And and restores their relationship. But the point of this message today is this. Far too many of us are, are, are living life covered up, dripping wet, hoping that somehow no one will notice that we're not a wedding cake. We're running around trying to make sure that everyone thinks we're polished and fine. And to everyone else, it just looks silly. I love the fact that Jesus' response to Peter on the shore wasn't, Peter, what are you doing? Peter, take that off. Peter, get rid of that tunic. You don't need it. There's a fire here. You know what Jesus says to Peter? Peter, come over here and warm yourself by the fire. Just come on, get warm. It was Peter's job to take off the covering. It wasn't Jesus' job to remove the covering. Some of you have been living life dripping wet, covering yourself up because you're afraid of what church people are going to say. You're afraid of what your ex-family is going to say. You're afraid of what other people are going to say. Enough is enough. Stop pretending that everything's okay because it's just stinking hard and you need help. If you've been married for 10 minutes or 10 years, you need help. We all need help. Every one of us. We have to stop pretending that everything's okay. Up on the screen, I asked if I could get these resources put up there. If you don't get these written down, you can certainly call the office and we'll get them to you. But there's a man named Pastor Ron Deal who writes a book called The Smart Step Family. It becomes highly recommended by people you may be aware of. James Dobson, Focus on the Family, Dennis Rainey, H. Norman Wright. Ron Deal provides a practical solution to the issues for step families. Forget all of that. Remember this website, smartstepfamilies.com. Smartstepfamilies.com. Why is it important that we talk about this? Because there's nearly 40% of you who are in blended families, and you need some hope. You need to realize that God loves you. You don't have to live covered up, and you don't have to listen to the voices at night that lie to you. You don't have to hang out wondering when the next foot's going to fall. You can walk with confidence and assurance navigate this journey the best way you possibly can with the situation that you find yourself in. Amen. Good stuff. Amen. Let's pray, can we? God, thank you for today. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we have a redemptive Father who takes our brokenness and and makes something really good out of it. God, we need you so much. We're an absolute train wreck without you. Everything about you is amazing, God. And even though we make mistakes or we come up with scenarios that we try to find peace in, I pray that you help us to run to you and you alone. Help us to swim to shore. Help us to um, take ridiculous steps that, that just vote against our flesh for the sake of peace in our own homes. We need you, Father. Bless and protect these families, blended or first-time married alike. In Jesus' name, amen.